if you're a note taker, I'll go ahead and take you, tell you we're going to stop at 18. But I didn't want to stop the chapter early because we'll come back to the end of the end of chapter 19 will be the intro to Elijah later. <laughs> you ever watch any of those movies that don't really have an ending? You know what I'm saying? Like, like at the end, it's just like a, you know, just like it's, it's open-ended. Like you never know exactly what happened, exactly what could be, you know, what couldn't be, what might be. Anybody like those kind of endings? Who said yes? Somebody said yes? What? Huh? Most of the You do too? Oh, okay. You're anticipating the next one. All right, all right. Most of us dislike those type of movies unless we think of another one coming. Now, if there's no other one coming, what do you think then? Yeah, then you get the, oh. It's why Hollywood has primed itself and made such success off happy ending movies. I mean, there we, we like that because it ends great. The boy gets the girl, the girl gets the boy, and, you know, the kids are all well behaved and super successful and, and everything's going great in life, right? Right? I mean, they had a baby and it never whined. It just slept like it was supposed to and ate when it was supposed to, and they didn't even poop, so you didn't have to clean diapers. I mean, it's just, it's just a great, happy ending kind of movie, right? That's so unrealistic. You know why we like those? Because it's a break from the ordinary, right? It's a break from the normal. It's unrealistic. You know, every time I open a, a Bible, and especially when I get to a chapter like this, I'm like, this just proves that the Bible is real, right? Because it's not just a bunch of happy fairy tale stories. This chapter sucks, I mean, in all honesty, let's be honest. If we were writing this movie and Elijah just come off the top of Mount Carmel, things are great. He just now busted Baal's tail. You know, all his prophets are eliminated at verse one. I mean, even verse one sounds great. Ahab went and told Jezebel, we got a pagan on mission as an evangelist for the Lord. Did you catch that? I mean, we've got King Ahab who's riding away telling everybody about what the Lord just did on top of this mountain. It should have been a cut right there. Happy ending. Everything's great. But God doesn't sugarcoat his stories for us. So we get verses 2 through 18, which is a drastic turnaround, right? Am I right? Do we understand this? Nah, you guys pray with me for just a second. Father God, I want us to open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds, Lord God, this morning. To see that you are real. Our emotions are real. And Lord God, you don't shy away from that stuff in Scripture, Lord God. So therefore, I think you're telling us this morning, Lord God, that we shouldn't be shying away from our emotions in our real life. Lord God, help us to not be ashamed of them, Lord God, but help us help us to look at them the way you want us to look at them in Scripture, Lord God, to use them to benefit, Lord God, our walk with you, how to get over them, Lord God, how to address issues that need to be addressed, Lord. Lord, thank you for chapters like this that I wouldn't have wrote, but you wrote. Thank you for moments like this and... In a godly person's life, Lord God, when we get to see the ugly side of it as well. Because, Lord God, I know a lot of us are going through some ugly stuff sometimes. But, God, I thank you, Lord God, that even chapter 19 isn't the end. Because it goes on to a chapter 20 and a chapter 21 and all the way through the rest of your book, Lord God. God, help us to keep our head up. Lord God, help us to follow what Mike just said, to wait on the next episode, even when it doesn't look good. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. If you weren't with us last couple of weeks, here's where we're at. We just now said Elijah. He's at, he's at the end of, of Mount Carmel. He's just come off. He beat 450 to 1. There was some righteous smack talking going on. There was some holy sarcasm going on. God delivers. God answers. He sends down fire from heaven. 
the whole crowd is on their faces shouting Elijah, which is, oh, three times you guys got to, got to get it. What is it? The Lord is God. Yahweh is God. However you want to look at it, right? They're, they're shouting this thing. Yahweh's got everybody's going on, right? You picture Elijah with his hands up, you know, shouting, ladies and gentlemen, I am out. Peace, right? I've done my job. Everything's going well. You know, we could go back to that movie idea. Elijah retires. You know, he, he, he ravels in the, the victory that he had. He's sitting in his rocking chair telling all the kids, you know, those stories about how awesome he was when he was younger. And the kids are all rolling their eyes because they're sick of hearing old man stories. But instead, if we're quite honest with what takes place here in Elijah's word, guys, we got a godly man who goes into depression. I mean, did you hear the very first thing he literally tells an angel? Just kill me. Like, I'm done. I, I'm so I'm so done. I'm just ready to go. What do you do when godly people hit depression? Can we just be honest this morning and acknowledge, maybe, if nothing else, maybe one, maybe one of the points of this morning is just to acknowledge the fact that life is like that sometimes. To quit with your little church, spiritual, holy roller face and acknowledge the fact that godly people can get depressed. It's real. And it's all over scripture. This is not like a new idea. This is not like a, an unbeliever. This is Elijah. Guys, I would be quite honest. I don't know if there's a more faithful, holy rolling person in scripture than Elijah when you think about the stuff this guy sees. How many of you guys been fed by the ravens? How many of you guys went to a widow who had like enough to make one biscuit and she kept making biscuits forever without enough to make one biscuit? How many of you laid over a dead boy and he got up? How many of you called down fire from heaven? None of us? What do you do when you've just done all that? And now you got to go back into a spiritual low. Can we just be honest and acknowledge the fact that if we're, if we're real with one another, a lot of times right after our mountaintop experiences, there's some valleys. Okay? Well, dang, this is a sucky sermon. Right after Christmas. Nah, this is, this is a right on sermon after 2020. You know what I'm saying? Like, this, this is so spot on for what God is doing. This is so spot on in case you're thinking, well, that's just Elijah. Paul went through it. I don't know if you remember that. Some others went through it. If I can be quite honest with you, do you realize Jesus went through it? I mean, let's, let's get in timeline here with Jesus. Jesus gets baptized. He comes up out of the water. We know the scene, right? The dove flies away and heaven opens up. And what does God say? This is my son who I'm well pleased with. I mean, that's a highlight moment, right? When the heavens open up, a dove flies, and God himself speaks, that's my boy. I mean, that, that's a high moment, right? You want to know what happens next? For those of you who ain't memorized the order of the Gospels, it says, and then he went to the desert. Spent 40 days there. All 40 days. Know what he was doing? Not eating. Can you imagine a good Baptist boy like Jesus not getting eaten for 40 days? That's already a spiritual low moment right there, right? No, what's he doing for 40 days? He's what? Being tempted by Satan. What? There's a few people every now and then. It's kind of like that fine line you got. There's a few people every now and then. I'll get the privilege to baptize them and I'll, and I'll go ahead and throw it out there and tell them. Get ready, it's coming. And I mean it. Like it's, not, it's not like a joke. It's not like I'm trying to... I mean, half the time I am kind of scaring people out of it because I'm scared out of it. It wasn't a real deal, right? 
But 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 there's also that moment of I want you to understand like this is your spiritual high moment. But right after this, the devil's coming because he hates what you just got. He hates what you just did. Right. And this is no different than, than, than Jesus here, man. Right. For a lot of us, we obey God. Now, I'm, I'm talking to people who, who obey God. this morning. OK, so if you're if you're a heathen and not obeying God, then maybe you won't get a lot of this in the beginning. Right. But but if some of us obey God and we experience success and everything's going great. And then then like something happens in our marriage. Then something happens with our children. Then the business tanks. And, and what happens with all that, and then real life just, just sucks you and I, or, or the doctor gives you a diagnosis you didn't like, or a feeling overcomes you that you didn't enjoy, and you begin to think, God, I, I really thought I knew where you were going, but now I don't know. And, and God, I'm not really sure if you're even there. And here's the problem a lot of times, church folks, and now I'm talking to all church folks, Here's the problem. We let people get these feelings and these emotions and they get to this state and we try to tell them, oh, bury it deep down in, baby. Don't let that out. You can't ask questions like that to God. He's God. I don't know if you've read the Psalms, but I like the Psalms because there's a lot of stuff in the Psalms where some religious, righteous, holy rolling people, whatever you want to call them, they get they just get honest with the Lord, right? I mean, I even like Job when Job's got to get his little butt handed to him at the end, but he finally gets to a part where he's like, God, what? What the heck are you doing, man? Like, what's the deal? You're supposed to be the boss, and this is what's going on. I like it because it's real. And if I'm honest, sometimes that's how I feel. I want, God, what are you doing, right? What, what, what exactly is going on right now? Now, here's what I don't want you to think I'm trying to do. Because I, for, for my, my main thing, remember, I want to acknowledge that depression is a real thing. It's not some mind game. It's not some unrealistic thing. It's not something lost people get. It's not something people who aren't part of the gospel get or anything like that. It's a real thing for everybody. I'm not diagnosing depression. I know there's levels of those that are just disappointed in how life's going all the way down to chemical imbalances in the body. That ain't me. I ain't telling you none of that as far as a diagnosis, okay? I'm not telling you you're going to get rid of it in one step and I ain't got one solution for you because that'd be a lie. What I am going to tell you is God acknowledges the fact that it's a real thing people go through and it gives us a little bit of pointers for it. And maybe one of the pointers could be your solution. I'm not saying they're not your solution either. I'm just telling you, I don't believe there's one solution for them, okay? And we're going to look at how the world looks at it versus how God looks at it and all this kind of stuff. So let's get back to First Kings. I just want to make sure we're all clear on what I was and wasn't trying to do today, okay? We left last week. Elijah's outrunning Ahab's chariot. Sounds crazy, right? Dude's outrunning, you know, saying he's going in the northern direction. I want to point that out because I think, I think God sometimes will put a little twist on a map person. You know, as long as he's running north, he's kind of doing almost what he's supposed to be doing to an extent, right? Because in case you, well, where's he going? Well, in a minute when he starts running away from Jezebel, he's running south. So when you're running north, there's a good sign you're probably going the right direction. When you're running south, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe that's just me looking at it. And maybe I don't. Maybe it means nothing. Maybe God's like, why are you mentioning that? That's not what I meant to do with the map. But I don't know. It's what it's what I learned when I was studying. Okay, right? So you can imagine Elijah's at this point. What do you think, you got to ask yourself now, what do you think he's expecting you when he gets to this town? Remember, he's already outran the chariot. He's getting to the town before, remember what's coming also. So you got Ahab's coming in his chariot, but what's coming behind Ahab? Rain! The drought is over, baby. The rain is coming, and I'm the one that prayed it into existence. What's he thinking when he gets to this town? I bet he's thinking the people are finally going to be united. I bet he's thinking like everybody's going to be singing Kumbaya. 
We love you, Lord. I bet they're going to be shouting like, way to go, Elijah. You did it. I bet Ahab, that little spineless wimp, is almost afraid to come back. I bet he's thinking Jezebel is either going to fall on her knees and repent finally, or she's going to be kicked out of this little throne she's in, right? Maybe she herself is going to come running down and be like, man, you're God. I bet he's thinking Super Bowl parade, right? You've got to be thinking this, man. You just called down fire from heaven. I bet he's thinking like they're going to give me the place next to the palace like God's man used to have. You know, one of those, what do you call those uh, those houses the church owns? A parsonage. He's thinking like, I'm going to get a parsonage right beside the palace. It's going to be awesome. I mean, I've already got Ahab witnessing for me here, right? Verse 1. But verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me. Now, anybody else want to laugh at verse 2? I, I wrote it there and I even wrote it here. The gods who what? They did nothing yet. She's talking about made the gods who ain't did jack squat punish me. Well, what are they going to do? I'm thinking like maybe that's the problem. Like I've, I've got this old school thing where like if you threaten a kid, but you don't follow through on it, that kid's going to eventually realize you just threatened and you never, act, you know, my kids know if I say it, you're going to get smacked eventually, right? Like you, you ain't got to worry, it's coming, right? But 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 some people like you, you some of y'all, some I'm gonna be honest, some of y'all, some of y'all just parenting in the way of I'm gonna pop you if you touch that again. They done touched that thing 728 times and you ain't popped that hand yet. They know you ain't gonna pop them, right? I read this right here about these guys. Like what, what are these guys gonna do? They ain't did jack squat this whole time, right? So many gods do to me and more so. Maybe that's what she's thinking. She's like, well, they ain't did nothing yet, so they can do no more so. Than nothing, right? If I don't kill you by this time tomorrow. Dang. Like if you're Elijah, you're like, man, no revolution, no repenting, no, no her getting no trophy handed to me when I walk in. Like this, this is what I walk into? Really? This is it? Somebody barking orders who shouldn't even be on the throne anymore, ordering my death? And we just now read it so we know it, but I'm gonna reach out verse three here in just a second. And realistically, he gets this, and what is it? Oh, I got to go back into hiding. I, I got to go back to what I was used to doing for my first problem. Now, I'll be honest with you guys. Your solution for one problem is not always the solution for the next problem. And that would get a lot of you in trouble because you'll always revert back to the solution you did once, thinking it was the solution for everything, and it's not. His solution this time is not hiding. That's why he's about to get in some trouble, right? But that's what he does. It's time to go back into Hiding. Now, when I first read verse two, like like trying to put myself in the scene, you know, away from somebody who's read it a bunch of times and all that kind of stuff, I'm thinking like there ought to be like a verse two and a half, like two point five, and it ought to be Elijah saying, Jezebel, let me tell you where you can go stick your. You want to threaten me? You want to threaten me? Really? I wish you would. I wish you would cross that line right there, because I will call down fire again and zoom, you'd be gone. That's what I'm thinking, like 2.5. But, but, but we get verse 3. So let me, let me just read at least a little bit of verse 3 so you understand. Then Elijah became afraid. I don't even buy this. Like, I, I understand it's in the Bible, so it's real. But, like, I don't even buy this line. How is somebody who's done so much already, so much awesomeness, reach a point where one little witch... Gets him afraid. 
And then the worst part, man, and immediately he ran for his life. Now, what do you do when you go from here to just a complete upside down? That's where he's at. Like one thing made him flip the whole other direction. It wasn't a lot of stuff. It was just it was just enough of the one thing. See, some people outside, they're going to think like a lot of stuff ain't happening to you, so it don't count. I'm going to tell you right now, one thing, one thing can make your emotions get flipped upside down. One thing can change all the chemicals in your body. One thing can just, just flip your life up, man. The wrong direction. Just one thing. And you get afraid. And the only thing you know what to do, like you, you forget. And that's the thing. When fear gets in the way, guys, you forget how you're supposed to respond. You do. You do. I mean, think about it. Christian, they're not here today. But with JD, like everybody, oh, stop, drop, and roll, right? Man, when fear sets in, he didn't think stop, drop, and roll. He thought, I'm running back to my house where my safe haven is. Right? When fear sets in, guys, we forget what we're supposed to do. We forget. Elijah forgot. I should stop and pray. I should just call the fire down right now. No, he's afraid. And when emotions take over, you do things you're not supposed to do. Maybe if nothing else, we need family members to understand that some of our reactions are because we took one thing the wrong way. Seriously. We took one thing the wrong way, and that's not an excuse. That's just allowing people from the outside to understand what made you do what you do. Right? And immediately he ran for his life. And then it talks about where he ran, which was Judah, which was to go down. I just look at that direction again. It might not mean anything. But, but then that last line, man, he left his servant there. Why is it, by the way, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't leave your friends when you're getting ready to go into depression. But why is it, that's our, that's our first thing. We get these feelings, we get these emotions, we get fear, and the first thing we want to do is just be alone. I, I tell you why the devil uses that. I don't know why we get that way, but the devil will use that because when he can get you alone, he's got you right where he wants you to be. Now, we've, you even look at Eve. We, we know that, 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 that um, Adam... That first guy, he was there, but he wasn't like right there. He wasn't as close as he was supposed to be. So somehow Satan had gotten Eve just a little bit away for just a minute to whisper those nothings into her ear to get her to fall. And the same thing Satan does to us. He gets us to think we need to be alone. No, man, he loses it. And it always refer. I don't know if it's the same servant. OK, I said last week. You know, how's the guy who was a nobody got a servant now fetching his water, got a servant doing this, got a servant doing that. I wonder if it's the same servant for everything. There's like that one guy that's just sticking with him, right? He doesn't see what can happen, and he's sticking with him. And even this guy, he leaves him alone. And I tell you what's beginning to happen, and what happens to a lot of us, but what's happened to Elijah here? Fear. He's letting fear get him in survival mode. Now, the scary thing is he's real good at survival mode. Keep in mind, for three and a half years, he's been in survival mode. So good at survival mode, like Raven's been bringing him food. He's been drinking from a brook during a drought. You know, a, a, a widow has been taking care of him. I mean, he's in survival mode and he's good at it. Fear forces Elijah to go through more than he needed to go to. Fear will force you to go through more than you need to go through. Understand that, guys. I'm serious. Right? It's same true for us. When we're afraid, when we're discouraged, we tend to wander aimlessly all around. And we let our problems take us much longer and much further than God ever wanted them to take us. Now, I'm not saying God didn't want, I mean, same thing with the desert, with the, with the, with the people when they crossed the desert out of Egypt. They had that journey to make, right? 
You pull you out a map and you, you get on your ways uh, thing and check out how long of a journey it was. It wasn't a 40-year trip. It just took them 40 years because they're a bunch of knuckleheads, right? And, and, and they're already messed up, right? Sometimes, sometimes that fear, that discouragement, that whatever will get us wondering aimlessly and longer than God ever wanted us to be. And here's the crazy part I can't get my head wrapped around. This is the very thing he prayed for. What do you do when the very thing you prayed for ain't working out the way you wanted it to work out? He prayed for this rain. Now, see, I'm thinking that maybe I'm like Elijah. Probably Elijah was thinking the same thing. He's thinking, we'll pray, rain will come, people will love me, we'll have something to drink, we'll have crops, we'll eat again. But what do you do when the very thing you prayed for brings persecution? Brings more fear. Brings more running. Brings more lessons. Well, I mean, what do you do? Right? This is where he's at. For three years, he's been in survival mode, and now he's brought the rain, the very thing he wanted. Maybe, maybe you can write it down this way. Don't answer this out loud, but, but ask this one for yourself on, on some of your quiet time, right? Will you be ready for what the rain's going to bring that you prayed for? That you prayed for, right? Even if it brings more than you thought it should be bringing. Right? He's been running and surviving so long that now, now you've got to picture this, guys, because this is where we begin to see this transition. Now he's running ahead of the very thing he prayed for. Some of you are running ahead of the blessing that you've been praying for. That's kind of where he's at. He's been praying for rain. The rain is coming. He wants to get. Now, part of that direction is right. He wants to get ahead of Ahab. He wants to get the city ready. But when he gets to the city, he's meted by a greeter. you got to picture this whole scene. We don't get it in all these little verses. He's meted by a greeter who runs out and says, Jezebel's ready to kill you. Like She's coming to kill you right now. So before the rain can even get there, before the blessing can get to where he's at, he's back fleeing again. So now he's outrunning the blessing. What if, now I don't know, but what if when he got there, the rain would have came and then the people would have revolted against Jezebel? I don't know. But I wonder sometimes if we've been praying for something, but we, we, we wanted to get so far ahead of God that we didn't wait on God to do what God was going to do where we were supposed to be. So he missed out on what God was going to do for us. Maybe that's the case with Elijah. Right? Maybe that's the case. We, we said it last week. We talked about the stages, the invisible, and then the, the, the insignificant stage, right? Remember, remember the invisible? He couldn't see the rain, but he kept sending Paxson back to the back. And Paxson finally came back and he said, I see a little cloud, but it's only like the size of your hand, Dad. So that's like an insignificant cloud, right? That's a tiny cloud. And, and then I said this, this, this phrase that we would see this week, and here it is. This is the intimidation stage. Your faith has got to overcome the invisible, the insignificant, and then it's got to overcome the intimidation. Because here's where we're at, and I said it last week. The devil can't keep God from making it rain, but it can keep you from receiving the rain. Okay? And that's where we're at. Jezebel threatens him. We have this expectation, but it doesn't go our way, right? Just note this down, too. You need to write this down. This is, this is real. Real killers. I don't know if y'all know any real killers, right? A real killer don't threaten you. A real killer kills you. Now, y'all laugh. I'm being serious. At school and stuff, or walking, well, you know, when you're hanging with your boys or whatever, like, like, you know, somebody bump into you or something like that, and they'd be like, man, how'd you know he wasn't going to punch you? Because he ain't going to sit there and say, what's up, what's up, if he's going to punch me. He's going to punch me. Does that make sense? Like a dude is just shaking his chest at you and, and trying to get you to, he's not going to do jack squat. 
You just keep on flinching and I'm going to laugh at you. Right. Or when you flinch one time, I'm going to punch you in the mouth so that you quit flinching, too. I'm not just being serious. Think about it. Real killers don't warn you. What did it say? She sent a warning to him. What does she really want to happen? I mean, let's just acknowledge what's really going on. She wants him to get the heck out of town. Oh, crap. He outran the chariot. He's ahead of my husband. I need to get rid of him. So she scares him. If she could really kill him, she'd have sent a killer to kill him. She'd had a sniper. Boom. I don't know what they sniped with. Maybe like a spear or bow and arrow or something, right? Like a really good bow and arrow. Yeah. Right? Laced with camel hair and I mean, all kind of cool stuff going on. Yeah. Boom. He's gone. There would have been no warning. Do you realize the devil tries to scare you the same way? He sends like all these little warnings. All these little red lights, right? The devil can't kill you, but he can contain you. The devil can't kill what God bless. He can't. I, I prayed that same thing over. I, I, I got a, uh, a friend who works at the pregnancy center. He sent me a, a text this morning about his daughter who had been working in the hospital. And I guess he got like a, a really bad strand of the COVID or whatever, how it worked. And, and he was really worried because she was taking it on the, you know, we see both ends of it. She had, she had had it on the other end. And, and, and he was like really worried. So he's praying. I said, God, God can't kill. I mean, the devil can't kill what God's blessed. Right? I don't, I don't believe that. So, so you know, look at this thing, man. The devil can't kill you, but he will continue. Look, look at the rest of three. Oh, left the servant there, so he's all on verse four. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. Ain't it funny how Elijah follows a lot of the same footsteps of Jesus? Maybe we should start following more. He sat down under a broom tree. Man, he's tired after only one day. And he, and he prayed what? That I might die. You know, I saw that he prayed and I'm like, yeah, he's finally going to pray. That ain't a real prayer. Right? I mean, that's really what he's feeling. But that's not that kind of prayer that's like overcoming what you're feeling. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life for I'm no better than my father's. You could say it this way. Maybe this is kind of cool to write down, right? Some of us are better at surviving in the famine than thriving in the blessing. I mean, really. Some of us are better at surviving during the famine. It's almost why I really believe this. Now, I don't know if this is, this is strictly by Bible or whatever, right? But I'm, so I'll stand like kind of close to the Bible when I'm behind the Bible, right? So I really believe this. I believe God doesn't bless some of us because we can't, we can't survive the blessing. Spiritually speaking, we can't handle it. And God cares more about us spiritually and eternally, 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 uh, yeah, that than he does about the temporary. And, and he understands like you, you, you just, you would take that blessing and it would just make you forget what you'd already learned. And that's us. So, so some of us, we, we're better at surviving in the famine than thriving in the blessing. But there's got to come a time where we stop running. Now notice there was a time to run. You know, what does Ecclesiastes say? Wise man ever written, right? There's a time for, you could sum the whole chapter up in one word, there's a time for. I will keep on acting it out. It doesn't bother me at all. I look goofy online all the time. I don't care, right? There's a time for everything. So there's a time to run and there's a time not to run. Maybe this is maybe this is great granddaddy trying to tell Elijah here, right? Stop running, man. That that time that time is done, right? He's depressed though. So depressed that he wants to die. What he hoped would happen, what he expected to happen, isn't happening. I told Crystal not too long ago, like even before studying Elijah, I've I figured out like when I have my, my mood swing. Yeah, I have mood swings too, okay. But but when I when I have that, I figured out what it is. It's because my expectations aren't met. However big or small, like it doesn't matter what, like that, that disappointment 
then leads me to despair, which then leads me down a road I don't need to be down. But it's all because of expectations. So maybe his expectations were like me. He wanted to ride into the town, mic drop, give me a trophy, Super Bowl parade. Let's get everything rolling. Jezebel's going to bow to the Lord finally, or she's just going to get the heck out of Dodge. But his expectations aren't met. It's not happening. So it's almost like he gets angry with God. I mean, are you hearing what he's saying? Right? He, he knew enough of God to know what to expect, but he's just not sure anymore. He's like, God, I've been doing all. Have you ever felt like that? I mean, being honest, I mean, you don't want to shake your head and say it out loud or, you know, whatever. But you do everything right. God seems to come through and then, bam, setback. Like, where did that come from? Right? Man, I had the same thing just last night. So I had three, you know, this this this, this season worked really cool. So, like, I had Wednesday off because I closed the shop. I gave everybody off Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Well, Christmas Day always. Christmas Eve we do normally open, but I just took the, the whole time. So three days in a row. Everything's great. Half a day on Saturday and then come back home. Everything's wonderful. Right? All, all that. High, 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 high. And then one thing last night. And, and, and I let it. I let it mess it up. Right? You ever you ever do that? Maybe you guys are more holy than me and you don't have that problem. You're like, you're, I don't even know where it comes from. You're like, where did that come from? Then you sit there and you mope because you're still reviewing your sermon because you review it 700 times before you want to give it. And while you're reviewing it, all you hear is the Lord just, now I know why I'm bald right here, and you know I got all that going on right now, right? I know y'all are holier than me. I'm just sharing where I'm at, not where you guys are at, right? Look at this. Back to verse five, five through ten. I'm kind of going to just just skim over real quick, just so we remember what Will Granders read, right? He lay down and he went to sleep. An angel came to him. Now I'm gonna be honest. I got to pause right there. I was gonna try to go through it fast, right? Now maybe it's because we just got off like the Christmas story, right? And you're thinking like the angels came to the shepherds. Y'all remember the scene from, from the other night, right? The angels came and they had this cool message, right? And, and you imagine how terrifying it was when the heavens opened up and angels come down. Like every time the angels came, they had to say what? Do not be afraid, right? So, so I'm thinking like it's got to be the same thing with Elijah. So like he's sleeping and this angel comes and he's thinking, oh, Thank God, finally. Like, I'm about to get the message I've been wanting to get. Like, things are going to be great. I can't wait to hear. He's got his notepad out. He's like, what is God going to tell me, right? What is God going to say? Get up and get a burrito. What? Hold on. I'm in the middle of depression here. I want to die here. And you're telling me to get up and get something to eat? What's the angel saying? Get a Snickers. Right? You're not yourself when you're hungry. I mean, that's it. That's it. That's it? Now, he does look over his head, and it's kind of cool that the angels already made something to eat, but it's not like floating there. Like, the angel actually heated up stones and, and made this thing the right way, right? And, and then he eats, and, and, he, and he lays down again, and the angel returns a second time, and he says, what? Get up and eat again. She's a Baptist angel, right? You've got to get up. You've got to eat. you got to eat. Why do you have to eat the second time? Because you're getting ready to go on this real big journey, and you need your strength. You need, hear me, hear me, eat. Because you need your strength, God's about to send you on a journey. We're not just talking physical food no more, guys, okay? Fill up on the spiritual meat because you're about to go on a big journey. Right? Alright. So he got up, he ate, he drank, uh, he got all the strength, and, and for 40 days and 40 nights, he goes to, to Mount Horeb. And he enters this cave and he spends the night there, and then suddenly a word of the Lord came to him. And I really believe, if nothing else, guys, I, I don't know, is this one on the screen? If nothing else, I really believe this question right here, write it down, repeat to write it down, check it out every day this week. 
Because I really believe God is asking every single one of us, what are you doing here? What are you doing at this exact time in earth that I've placed you here? Maybe it's, maybe it's just while you're in church. What are you doing here? Are you wasting your time? Did you just come because it's cool? Did you come because your wife made you? Did you come because your mom and dad made you? What are you doing here? Are you checking things out so you can find out if it's real or not? Are you trying to develop a relationship? What are you doing here? When you get to your house, question you should have on your mirror. What am I doing here? Am I being the husband and the wife I'm supposed to be? Am I being the parent I'm supposed to be? When you get to work, write it on your desk. What am I doing here? Am I being the worker I'm supposed to be? Am I being the teacher I'm supposed to be? Am I being the influencer I'm supposed to be? What am I doing here? You old and retired? Ask what you're doing here. What am I doing in my retirement? What am I doing on the golf course? What am I doing hanging out? What am I doing here? And if you can't answer that, you just need to stop and take some time and figure it out. All right? Take some time and figure it out and let it set in, right? God does three things here. I'm going to get kind of, kind of, a little fast thing because I want to get, want to get to something else, right? First thing God does is God sends an angel of rest. I love this. I love this so much, guys. I can't tell you how much I love this because this goes against everything I see in the real world. And what I mean by that is this. They, you know, and, and notice this. Maybe this will be a free note too for you, right? Angels in the Bible are always on assignment. Always. You don't ever see, I've never, I've, I've studied it. You don't ever see an angel just wandering around earth. Hey God, you won't believe what I saw today. Right? Mike just sat there during church and took notes. It was amazing, right? I prayed that you turn his life around. The other Mike was waiting on episode two. <laughs> he don't even know episode two ain't coming. Right? Angels are never just wandering around. They're always on assignment. This guy's no different. He's on assignment, right? What the, here's what he, let's look at what he doesn't say. This is the part I love. Cause in the real world, here's what we say when somebody says, Oh, I'm ready to die. I'm depressed. Uh, right? What, what do we say? Why don't you show some faith? Why don't you step it up a little bit, right? Why don't you get it together? Hey, here's a John Piper book. Why don't you read it, check it out, and it'll make your life better? That angel don't say none of that. Some of y'all looking around, who's John Piper? Only real spiritual people get that one, right? So if you didn't, you probably read Joel Olstein's book, but it's all right. Check that out too. Right? Whatever you want to read, huh? But, but he doesn't say any of that. That's what I want to make sure we understand, real world people. When a believer is going through depression, you don't tell them, have enough faith. Suck it up. Right? Oh, what sin are you committing? It's not a sin. It's an emotion. Here's what he does do. He touches him. He touches him. Don't miss that part. He, he touches him. He, he makes him something nice to eat. You want to make somebody feel better? Touch him. You want to make him feel even better? Make him something. Notice it's warm. It's cold outside, so we need something warm. Makes him something warm to eat. Huh? There, there ain't nothing like a good... Snack to eat, right? And then what does he do? He makes him take a nap. Amen, right? Huh? And then he goes even further. Not, not, that's still not the end. What does he tell him? He goes, I got you a cabin in the mountains. Go on vacation. Look at it. That's what he's doing. You expect this great big old message and all this stuff, and all he does is tell him what? Here, here's the Snickers. You're not just saying when you're hungry. You got a big trip to make. I got a cabin rented for you. Go on vacation. Relax and sleep. That's it. Second thing God does, we're going to elaborate more on each of these in just a second with some of the other stuff that God gives us for a lesson, right? Second thing, God listens. If you get nothing else today, please get this. God wants to listen to you. And real godly people, they want to listen to you too. You run into somebody who's a believer, quote unquote, and doesn't want to listen to you, 
They're not really representing the Lord. So don't you dare think it's God. It's them. And they're fallen humanity. Okay? Real people listen. God listens. Look at what he says. What are you doing here, Elijah? So, so just like our angel thing. Angels are always on mission. God doesn't ask the question to get an answer. You understand that? God's not asking, God's not asking the question because he doesn't know. He's asking the question not to seek information, but he's giving Elijah a chance to express his feelings. Seriously, guys, that's it. He wants Elijah to express how he feels. Elijah, don't sugarcoat it. Don't change the way you feel. Don't try to give me some spiritual holy roller. Take off your mask. What are you really doing here? How are you really feeling? What's really going on? And Elijah does. And God listens. This is so spot on because what did Elijah just do in verse 2? He got rid of his friend. He only had one friend. Right? You're already in a bad spot when you only got one friend. You're in a real bad spot when you get rid of that one friend. Right? So he's left this one friend. And if nothing else, maybe you, if you know figures, please write down, don't isolate yourself, because that is important. Right? And then there, there's this quote in, in, in a thing I had read the other day. Things in the secret garden always grow mutant. Think about that. Things that you grow in the secret garden always grow mutant. Think about it. I mean, I mean, I mean, little science experiments people had going down in the basement that nobody knew about and turned out a really bad way, right? That's how we got the Ninja Turtles and Splinter. I mean, we, we know that's how it happens, right? Definitely. Huh? Thank you. Huh? Third thing God does. He sends an angel of rest. He listens. And God gives his word. And we're going to come back to that, right? But I just want to make sure you got it for, for your order, right? He sends his word. Now, now he, here's what we need to understand. There's three different ways God deals with depression. There's three different views the world has for depression. And I think this is really important, man. I really do. So just one minute for me, okay? Maybe two minutes. One minute for God, one minute for the world. That sounds so unreligious. I'm sorry. Right? <laughs> I'm glad I'm not religious. He ministers to him physically. Physically. Just, just the word physical, right? He touches him. He gives him food. He gives him a nap. That's your physical needs. He ministers to him spiritually. He's got a wrong view of God right now. He's got a wrong view of what God's doing, which we'll get to more at the end, okay? But, but, he, but he, he, he's getting make sure you understand this, right? And then psychologically, he listens to him. Now, use those three because here's the world's view. Some view uh, depression is just physical. And what I mean by that is this. And not in, well, I'm, I'm going to say that for the end. Right? Just take a pill. Take a pill. You'll feel better. Do this. You'll feel better. Get some time off. You'll feel better. Right? Something's making you stressed. It's just a physical thing, and that's it. The other way the world view. Now, here's the problem. We only view it one of the, one of the three ways. You very rarely find somebody who, like God, has mixed all three together. Right? The other one is spiritual. Oh, you're depressed because you don't trust God. You're depressed because you don't have faith. Why don't you just quit sinning and get over it? Like it's just spiritual, right? And then the other one, this third group is psychological. Oh, if you just talk about it, it'll all go away. I know people who've been screaming about it for years. It ain't going away. Okay? I'm grateful that the Lord, he doesn't have one of the three. He uses all three of them. He looks at us and says, you know what? You're, I don't, is psychosomatic a word? Okay. I had it down, but I wasn't sure if it was real or not. I don't know if I made it up. <laughs> it sounded like it was too smart, something I had to have heard, right? God made you as a psychosomatic being. We just mix them all together. And here's what I mean by that. You're not just a soul floating around. Okay, for the people in the spiritual world who think that's all you are is this soul, then what in the world did God create the earth and everything for? Okay? Now, some of you are, I don't like this. I thought I was just a soul and that's all that matters. 
You think God didn't have nothing better to do than to give you like 100 years here or 83 years here on earth? I, mean, I hate to call your death number out on anybody, so please excuse that age, right? No, you're more than just a soul floating around. You're united with a body. We can't separate these two, right? Now, now here's what we need to understand. We're talking about you can't separate all this stuff. Do you think I'm going to honestly sit down with someone who's got cancer and tell them, don't you go through any treatments. You just let me pray over you. No, I've walked the road with cancer patients who made it and didn't make it. I say, I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to get some other people to pray over you, and you can go do treatment. Right? Why would you not do what God's blessed other people with the ability to help you with? I wonder sometimes if, if those, those super spiritual beings, right? Uh, well, I'm, now I'm not going to go there. I get in trouble. <laughs> There's no need to get in trouble when you don't have to, right? <laughs> so some of the some of the spiritual people, I, I, this is this is bad of me. I'll confess that to begin with. Okay, I've told Crystal before. Sometimes some people who have that view, I sometimes wish they would get what they think they can't get. Not not that I want them dead or anything like that. Okay, but I just wish it so I could be like, hey, how's it going for you? Right? How's it going? Not listening to anything the world has told you. Other than you think you can pray everything away. Okay? Now, somebody thinking, man, Pastor's saying you can't pray. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we need to understand it's more than just that. Okay? I'm just being real and honest with you. He ministers to Elijah physically. You'll never hear a preacher say this, I doubt. But he doesn't say, hey, you need a prayer, you need a sermon. No, he says you need a nap. You need a vacation. You need a weekend away. That's what he tells him. Y'all realize how many naps Jesus took in Scripture? Now, I'll be honest with you. If you can sum up 33 years of somebody's life. (laughs) Hold on. 33 years of somebody's life in this many pages. I'm going to be honest. That's a disappointing life. Did Jesus have a disappointing life? No. He had a lot of good stuff going on, right? I can think of without even opening and highlighting them or having time to have taken my notes like I should have as a responsible pastor and tell you exactly how many. I can think of at least four times that Jesus took a nap in this many pages. Now, here's what I'm pointing out. If you had to sum up everybody's life in this little stack, what in the heck would be the point of mentioning four times he took a nap? He was sleeping. He was lying under the boat. He went by a tree and took a nap. He went away and got it right. Because naps is important. Y'all thought I was going way more spiritual than you. You're like, yeah, he's about to bust out a spiritual line on us. Sometimes the most godly thing you can do is take a nap. I'm just being honest. You're following Jesus' example, right? Now, now, if you're writing that down and that's your action step, don't you start practicing that action step right now. No napping while I'm preaching. You nap when you get home, right? As long as you got a good spouse who's going to watch the kids for you, right? He ministers to him psychologically. He does, allowing him to talk it out. He doesn't tell him, Elijah, I don't want to hear you whining. No, he says, Elijah, what's going on? Right? So in other words, you can write this down as a note. God doesn't want you to bottle it up. He wants you to let it out. You bottle it up, you're going to explode, right? The Psalms are filled, and believers, hear me, because y'all are the ones that struggle with this. It's not the unbelievers, it's the believers. The Psalms are filled with people venting to God. Right? Being godly does not mean pretending your emotions aren't there. You do not cease to become emotional whenever you became a believer. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Now, some of them need to be corrected. Not every emotion is legitimate, but you can't correct the problem if you don't know about the problem, right? You can say it this way, and maybe this is a good way to think about it. 
your emotions are like a fire alarm. Right? Our, our fire alarm went off the other night at the at the house. Right? Just a candle was lit, so it wasn't a fire. Like, our house didn't burn down or anything like that. But the problem wasn't the fire alarm. The problem was the fire. Right? Your emotions are like a fire alarm. Your emotions are not the problem. Your emotions are an indicator that there's something going on later on down the line with the source. You understand that? So if you if you take the batteries out your fire alarm, sure, your fire alarm's not going to wake you up any longer. It's not going to interrupt anything. Right? But... You're not going to know when there's a problem. So if you start shutting down all your emotions and all your stuff, you're not going to know there's a problem that you need to have addressed. Okay? Stop stop acting like you ain't got to be emotions. And now, Men sometimes are worse than... Christian men are the worst with this sometimes. Right? Because we think we got to be manly and we got to be you know unemotional and, and undriven by a real life thing. No! No! Jesus wept. Jesus took naps. Okay? Good stuff. And he ate. Right? You can say it this way, I guess. Our emotions aren't really good or bad. Our emotions are simply indicators, right? It's something that may need to be addressed or great. Get a journal, write this stuff down. That's what they did in Psalms. That's why the Psalms are so important, right? They got a journal. They wrote them down. And some of the stuff he says, if we're quite honest, are kind of salty about the Lord. But being honest, read some of them. Some of the stuff he says, you're like, can you even say that to God? Not only did he say it to God, God had thought enough of it to put it in Scripture, right? He wants you to know it's okay to have these ideas so that they can be addressed. Now, if you just have that view and you don't address it, there's a problem, right? Then get people around you, man. Don't don't be in that garden growing Ninja Turtles and Splinter, right? All right. He ministers to him spiritually. God's, hit, God's hitting all these things, right? He ministers, ministers to Elijah spiritually. He gives him his word. Now, now his, his word goes awesome. Verse 11 through 13 starts his word, right? He, he gets him to this place, which I, I need to pause right here and just tell you this. Alright. <laughs> verse 8. Go back to verse 8 real quick. What mountain's he at? This is too good to skip over, so I can't do it. I had a, I got a little note sometime. Y'all be surprised. I do have notes that say check your time. Right? I don't do it. Or if I do it, I just ignore it. But anyway. So now I'm wasting 30 more seconds. Alright? So where's he at? He's at Mount Horeb. You know the other name for Mount Horeb? Mount Sinai. Somebody read the cliff notes in the Bible. Good job. Right? What else happened to Mount Sinai? The Beatitudes, no. no. Jesus preached those on a cliff above Galilee to a crowd who wanted something to eat. Right? They were Baptists also. Right? What happened to Mount Sinai? Not the Beatitudes, the Ten Commandments with Moses. You guys remember the scene? Give me things you remember from the scene. So the longer you take now, the longer I take. But take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Because he saw a, a burning bush. Fire. What else happened on Mount Sinai? Come on, our kids know the story of Exodus, guys. What? Golden Calf was down there. Sure. What? Tablets came out of nowhere. That's pretty cool concept, right? The presence of God is there when stuff just starts appearing. Lightning came down. Face shown afterwards, but he couldn't even look at God, so so he's hidden. He's hidden in the cave, right? While God is in the fire. Y'all remember what else? Did God get mad when those calves were there? And there's a little verse in this thing talking about God getting so mad he shook them out. Could we call that an earthquake? I'm just wondering, right? So there's an earthquake, right? Presence of God, earthquake, fire. What are we missing? This voice of God, huh? Check out how cool this is, man. God descends on the same mountain he'd already been to. 
Right? Same mountain he'd already been to. Now, now here's, I'm, I'm not big on telling you like church is a holier place than any others, but something cool about church is somebody met with God generally at a church. Something cool about an altar, you know why the altar is always open? It's because somebody met with God at that altar probably. If not, it's a pretty weak altar to be honest. Okay, and I'd stay away from it. But, but if you can get you a good old-fashioned altar that somebody's been to and met with God, that's pretty cool, right? So you could almost say this. Part of Elijah overcoming depression was he went to church. He went to a place the Lord had already been. Not only did he go to a place the Lord had already been, he went to a place, maybe the same cave, I don't know that, right? Maybe he went, maybe, maybe the same, at least near the same place Moses was. Don't you think Elijah didn't know these stories, right? Where an earthquake came on a mountain, fire was in the, in the bush, and wind and all that stuff was happening. Elijah knew all that stuff. And in all those things, Scripture tells us in Exodus that that was the presence of God. All throughout Scripture, when you see earthquakes and fire and wind, it's all about the presence of God. <laughs> but when you read 11 through 13, don't you hate when God throws you the curveball? You think you got it all? You're like, yeah, I got it, I got it. And God says, I'm not in that. I'm not in that. And I'm not in that. I'm in that little small voice. The whisper. Right? Part of the lesson I think God's trying to teach us, guys, is that God's voice in our lives doesn't have to always come the way we expect him to come. Elijah probably had an expectation, again, of, oh man, I'm where Moses was. I'm on that mountain. I hear fire. I hear the, the, the shaking. I hear the, the wind blowing. God is going to speak to me the same way he spoke to Moses. Not always. And, and while we're, while we're on this point right here, I'm about to come back to that part. So kind of do a little pause, a little back and forth. I apologize. But, but the point right here was God spoke and gave him his word spiritually, right? So 15 through 18, God then reveals to Elijah's plan. He's like, you don't even know. I've been working since you didn't even know I was working. I got a pagan king who's getting ready to bring judgment on uh, Ahab and Jezebel. Also got 7,000 secret agents ready to attack. Like they've been ninja training for who knows how long and they're ready to take care of business, right? But Elijah, like us, has put God in a box and he expected God was only going to work one way. So because God was working his way and not our way, Elijah was missing it. How many times do we miss it because God's working his way and not our way? Elijah thinks God's letting him. God ain't let, God has not let Elijah down. What led Elijah down with his limited view of God? You know, a lot of times when you think God's let you down, that's your problem. You've not been let down by God. You've been let down by a limited view of God. A small God, a fake God, right? Baal couldn't take Elijah out, but Elijah could take himself out. And he starts to do so by stuff he starts telling himself. I think sometimes, especially for church folks, the most powerful enemy you'll ever face won't come from the outside. It'll come from the inside. Really? I mean, really, think about the stories he keeps telling himself. I, I don't want to get to it yet because it comes up in a minute, but you got, you got to, I got to go ahead and say it because it's written in my notes, right? He, he says, it's about time you stop listening and start preaching. He keeps listening to the thoughts in his head, and that's what gets him further down the line, when instead he should have started speaking to those thoughts. Should have started preaching his own sermon, Right? So here's four more free lessons for you. They're just as fast as the first three, so calm down. It's all right, okay? Number one, you got to defer to the wisdom of God. Defer to the wisdom of God. Like Elijah, some of us get to a stage in life where we think God is, is absent, right? Yeah, maybe, I, maybe I should ask you this one. I think this is probably more realistic. You ever been 
You ever, you ever went through something in your life, but like you, you didn't like it, to be quite honest? You weren't really happy with it? But like maybe a year later, five years later, I don't know, ten years later, like you look back and you're like, oh man, I see what God was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Have y'all all been there? Because I've had little things like that, right? And here's my idea for this one, then we defer back to the wisdom of God. If, if I can do that in my limited view a year, five years, ten years, what do you think if I get on the, on the other end of eternity, I'd be able to see when I look back? You, you see what am I, am I, am I, am I saying what I'm thinking right? I hope. If, if in just a little bit of time, I'm able to look back and see, man, God was like doing something right there that was pretty cool, right? What in the world could happen 700 years from now when I'm chilling in heaven with him, right? And I look back and I, and I see, and I see that stuff and I'm like, wow, that's, that's what you're doing, right? You see it? So God's wisdom is greater than ours, right? He, here's where he gets to his wisdom, though. Verse four. Go to bed in verse four. Here's some, here's some real life lessons for us while we look back at how he didn't go with the wisdom of God. Verse four. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. What's he doing? He's isolated himself. Here, here's the two things we do. Listen up, people who struggle with this. We isolate ourselves, and then what's he do second? No, no, he ain't gave up yet. He compares himself to others. Huh? Is that all we do? We compare ourselves with others. That's what he's doing. Who told him he had to be like his ancestors? That ain't what the angel told him. That ain't what God told him. Elijah had the idea, and I don't know why, but we do it too. Why do we have the idea we got to be better than somebody? Why do we have to have the idea that like if, if, if all this stuff is going to happen, that we got to be the brightest and, and the best and without any flaws if God's going to use us? We get that idea, don't we? Nobody told Elijah that. Nobody tells you that. He does the same thing a lot of us do. What starts him down this downward spiral is he starts looking and comparing himself to everybody else, right? God, I'm not as pretty as her. God, I'm not as successful as him. I'm not as strong as him, right? I should be at a different spot in my life at this age, right? That's like the biggest thing. Every 10 years, you start evaluating where you're at in your age. You're like, I should be further along than I am right now at this age. Why? You could be dead at that age. You know what I'm saying? Let's just be honest. Thank God you're not dead yet. You still got stuff to do, right? Uh, you know, I'm not as good as a mom. I'm not as good as a dad. I'm not as good as that person, right? I don't have relationships the way I'm supposed to. I'm not as happy. I'm not as wealthy. I'm not as successful. Is any of them thoughts comparing yourself to others helping you at all? No, it's a downward spiral, right? It's not what you think about yourself. It's what God says about you. Okay? Second thing he does. Defer back to the wisdom of God. Second thing. We'll kind of come out of that a little bit in a minute, too. You got to embrace the love and grace of God. I love this one, too, because it kind of goes back to relating to that mountain thing. All right. You got to embrace and love the grace of God. Go, go back. Elijah calls him. At, go back to 11. I think 12 is the only one that's going to be on the screen for you. 11. What does God tell him? Come outside, man. When's he finally come out? Verse 13. So, so little old me. I'm like, hold on now. He didn't ran immediately when he was afraid. He didn't been obedient when he's supposed to be obedient. Something cool must have happened in verse 12, right? If he was called out in 11, he didn't make it out to 13. What happened in verse 12? What happened in verse 12? Earthquakes! Y'all ever been in an earthquake? I haven't either, but I've seen some cool ones on TV. I don't know how realistic they are, because I'm just a good old southern boy who ain't never been in that area, which sounds weird, because we're on like one of the biggest fault lines ever, so if we ever get one, it's going to be real bad, right? But anyway, I hadn't had that one yet. right? You ever, you ever seen them on TV, though? They look pretty violent, don't they? I mean, stuff shaking, rocks falling, just looks nasty. Right? What else happened in verse 12? The fire. You ever seen fire? You seen California and Australia? 
No, I'm being serious. Think about how, how bad it looks, right? What, what else? The wind. There's a tornado going on. Now, before last year, I can tell you I've never been in a tornado, but now I have been. All right? I can see what happens when 5,000 trees on a 40-acre piece of property get destroyed. Right? I can see the crane that, or the uh, forklift and backhoes and all that are still sitting on the property to clean it up. Right? So I know exactly what a tornado does. How cool is this now? What, what, what's the point? Don't forget it. Embrace the love and grace of God, right? God keeps him in the cave around the rock while all the rocks outside are falling down that could have harmed him. Oh, that didn't amaze you as much. Man, you guys are missing it. What? God's got him in protection, right? While all this other stuff is going on on the outside, the tornado, the earthquake, the fire, all that. When you read other parts of Scripture, what are those things a picture of? God's judgment. Think about God's judgment, right? So, so the mountain is absorbing God's judgment because Elijah is surrounded by the rock, which is going to bring God's grace. Now, does that sound familiar for the New Testament? Huh? That the rock has taken all the judgment so that you can receive that still, small voice. Right? It says, Behold, the Lord passed by. God brought his presence before Elijah first to show him where he was not. So you, you could jot this down as a note because I did, right? We need to know what God is not in. Because if you know what God is not in, you know what you should be staying away from, right? Maybe like many others, Elijah probably, you know, look for God in dramatic manifestations, right? Maybe, maybe that's the problem. Maybe we just like drama so much. Am I speaking to anybody now? Huh? Maybe we just like drama so much that if it's not dramatic, we don't think God could be in it. I was so grateful, that, at first I wasn't, to be honest, but I was so grateful this year that we did kind of dial it back with the Christmas Eve service, and it was kind of, you know, more more peaceful and and just relaxed, and, and, and but it still got the point across, and people still loved it, right? Sometimes we think, like, there's got to be this dramatic thing, and God's saying, look, man, a lot of times I'm not in the drama. Matter of fact, I'm going to be quite honest, if, if it's just drama, God's not in it. You know what I'm saying? You've been to churches like that sometime where they got all the drama, but no real movement of the spirit. I'm not talking about movement of the people. I'm talking about movement of the spirit. Because there's a difference. Okay? I think scripture says something about Satan is the author of confusion and chaos. So maybe when there's too much drama and it's confusion and chaos, we know who's writing that story, right? Then verse 12, the end of it. Coolest part ever. Because I'm going to be honest. Y'all have heard me kind of use this one before. When I when I think of God, I'm like, yeah, he should be in that big fire. He should be in that earthquake. He should be in that, that howling wind. But God makes a point to say, I'm not in those things. Then it says this still small whisper. And it says that God was in the whisper. Because when you were in your darkest, most alone moment of depression, God comes close. Real close. Because to hear a whisper, you got to be close, right? Huh? Unless you're like my kids when they whisper. <laughs> really loud whisper. Right? They're close. God is close. God is close and we don't even know that he's close. He's so close in this whole thing and what's going on. And remember now, Elijah prays what? Probably one of the only prayers Elijah prays that doesn't happen. Elijah prays, I want to die. You realize Elijah never dies? You get that? Like one of the only, only ones in Scripture who never really dies, right? Because he comes back in the gospel. Now, this is kind of cool, too, to tie it all together, right? Elijah shows up again in the Gospels with Moses. Him and Moses are there. And, and, and remember now, these are two guys that were hidden in the same, maybe the same cave, I don't know, the same rock at least, right? 
sheltered while God's glory passed by because it was so holy they couldn't look at it. So holy they couldn't see it that even with their heads turned, what did you say? He came down and his face shone and looked different. Right? So, so think about that now, right? And then here, right before Jesus dies in the Gospels, he's with his disciples on top of this mountain, all his glory, and he's standing with who? Moses and Elijah, and his presence doesn't kill them, right? This time it doesn't kill them. They don't have to hide anything like that. Why? Because they're with the rock. Jesus is this, this rock, that mountain to which the prophets were supposed to be hidden against the judgment, and they're with this rock that had hidden them. So, so you don't want to say it this way. Uh, Elijah and Moses got like a shadow where you and I get to see the whole picture with clarity. If, if we pay attention and, and dive through all of it, right? Jesus on the cross, you can say the, the tornado, the earthquake, you know all that stuff happened while he was on the cross? Right, right, fire, God's wrath, all that stuff literally going on. And, and then we get to the, to the book of Acts and it says that there was a blowing, uh, blowing through us like a power of a mighty wind, Acts 2 2. And then it says the power of the resurrection, verse 2 3, uh, shaking us with holy boldness when we were filled with the Spirit, Acts 4 31. Right, so, so man, it looks like God is, is wrapping all this stuff together, right? Third lesson. If you're gonna get it all wrapped together, you gotta confront the lie. You gotta confront the lie. Twice in this passage, he gets asked something and how he responds, right? Just, just look at what he says. And, he, and here's what he's doing. Here, here's where you get in trouble. It is. When we start mixing truth with lies. Don't mix truth with lies. Look at what he does. I've been zealous for you. Has Elijah been zealous for God? Oh, without a doubt, man. Zealous, super zealous, right? Audacious faith. The Israelites have rejected you. That's true. Everybody rejected you. That's why God's mad, right? You, uh, they've killed all your other prophets. Jezebel killed lots of them. Now they still got, I know you could say, well, they got the 200 that you hid in the cave. Yeah, you, you could, but in reality, even his view, remember, he, he's got a, he's got a, he's got the wrong view going on. And then he says this, I'm the only one left. They already had this wrong view once, but here he comes up with it again with this wrong view, right? So you got all this truth, and then something false. And we know it's false. Why? Because what did God say a couple of verses later? I've got 7,000 spies set up and ready to take care of business. People who have not taken a knee yet to bail like the rest of them have, right? One of them, in fact, is going to be Elisha, which I promise you I will mess those names up as much as possible. I was sending my cousin a text yesterday. Um, my cousin who's a pastor, so you got to be careful when you're texting a, a family member and a pastor because they'll call you out on all your mistakes. And I had to pause for a minute. And Crystal, do I spell this one with the S-H or with the J, right? So <laughs> yeah, you had to pause things. I'm going to mess those up a bunch. Just pre-warning, right? And this is how, this is how the, uh, despair and depression works for us. The momentum of a few true things Leads us to a false conclusion. Look at what we do. We say it's all lost. That's false. It's not all lost, man. Nothing's all lost. We got to try. We, we say God is useless. My family's never going to change. My friends are never going to listen. My work. False. False. It's not true, right? It's never going to get any better. False. It can get better. Right? Don't don't let the lies happen. There's no one who cares about me. False. If nothing else, you know today I care about you. Okay. And I'll pray that you're surrounded by other people that care about you. And if nothing else, the Lord Almighty cares about you, right? I'll never be happy. False. You can be happy. I understand it may take more for you to get there and maybe a little bit rougher of a road and all that. I'm not excluding that. But I'm just saying you can get there. You can get there, right? Your depressed self keeps whispering all these conclusions to you. And you got to stop listening to them. You got to, right? Stop listening. Start talking. Start. Maybe some of y'all need to preach some sermons to yourself. If I'm the only one preaching to you, maybe that's the problem. Maybe y'all need to preach some long-winded sermons. If I'm the only long-winded preacher in your life, you've got a problem going on. Some of y'all think, we get enough in that one Sunday morning. We don't need no more, right? Yeah, you, you need more. You need more. I'm telling you, you need more, right? 
Elijah's despairing for the future and God's planning for the future. Think about it. That's how cool it is, right? Elijah don't even know what all God's planning. God's working it out so much that we're not even going to go into it. But you realize God's working out so much at the end of this where, where he lists all these people that are going to get taken out. And he says, well, so-and-so don't take him out. So-and-so else is going to take him out. And whoever that guy misses, this guy's going to get. And whoever that guy misses, this guy. He's got it lined up where everybody's going to get to get somebody. It's like Madea. I'm going to get you before you get gotten, right? Got that going. Lesson four, last one. We're done. Get back to your assignment. Get back to your assignment. That's tough. That's tough. I don't care. I, I don't care who tells you that's easy. That's not easy. But if you want to overcome depression, one of the things you have to do is get back to work. Your work, not somebody else's job. Think about it. Look, look at what God does for him. Now, this, this is all scriptural. So God's talked to him. God's related to God's let him vent. God's letting him know some of his plan now. And then verse 15, the, the, the story ends. Look at 15. Well, it, it ends for us today, right? Then the Lord said to him, go and return the way you came in the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you're to anoint as Elis King. You got to get back to work, man. I still got stuff for you to do. You, you want to get out of depression? Probably some of the greatest thing you can do is get back to doing what you're supposed to be doing. I'm serious. And, and when you get others oriented, oh man, it, it'll open your eyes in ways you never even thought. I mean, seriously. You get your eye off yourself and get your eye on other people, it will help you tremendously, right? Get back to doing what you're supposed to do. Get back to being a dad. Get back to being a mom. Get back to being a wife. Get back to being whatever you're supposed to be. Get back to being a witness. Get back to being underappreciated. Right? Seriously. Seriously. First, first, uh, first Corinthians, Paul writes to the church. Chapter 15, he says, So therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Great verse, because a lot of us feel like we do a lot of stuff. And it's not getting the job done we wanted it to get done. Your work is not in vain if God's the one doing it, right? God wanted him to make a choice of godly action based on obedience rather than inaction based on emotions. That's our problem sometimes. We, we, we do no choice because of emotions. Get your eye on other people and see what's going on. Remember, you're, you're not designed to do it all on your own. I tell people sometimes in a wedding or at least in counseling at some point, reaching out for help when you get to that moment is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of faith. Because what does scripture tell you? When you get to those moments, rely on, rely on the people he set up for you. I mean, look at Hebrews. What, what, what do they get yelled at? For giving up meeting together. So, so for even, even people who are online that may be worried or whatever, you can't give up being together with people. I don't care if you've got a Zoom, if you've got a call, if you've got a text, if you've got to sit on one end of the parking lot and yell to the other. Whatever. You can't give up being together. Don't let isolation get you there. Verse 18. God reminds him yet again of the plan. He's been working on it even when he didn't know it. Yet I reserve 7,000, 7,000 that haven't bowed, that mouths have not kissed him. He felt like he was the only one wallowing in self-pity. And God said, man, I got a mountain of people behind me ready to roll. When you feel like you're the only one, ask God to show you who's around you. Because when you get to that moment after God gets done teaching you and molding you and shaping you, he'll show you, man, you've had a lot of people around you. All the time, even when it ain't people. You know what? I, I love that battle where they're down in the valley. You remember when they're getting ready to get their butts kicked and then all around the top of the mountain. There, there's there's the Lord's army. Right. Like even when you don't know, nobody's going to be there. God's there taking care of it. Right. Maybe maybe we look at America and we're kind of thinking that. I thought this one was kind of for me, but I'll share it with you. Right. I, I look at America. I'll be honest, guys. I, I see like a landslide of failure coming. 
I mean, I, I still think we're the greatest country in the world. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is if godly people don't step up, we got a landslide of downward spiral that's happening. But as I look at that, I need to remember that God has stationed his people. You know, when you get your little holy roller outfit on, you think, I'm the only holy one left in America. No, you're not. Okay? No, you're not. Right? I tell myself the other day, as much as other preachers make me mad sometimes, i got to be honest. I know I'm not the only one preaching truth, okay? Uh, there's got to be some other ones out there, right? Huh? God has his people stationed in key positions all across the nation, standing tall, right? For all the decline and decay that's coming. You can't, you can't outmaneuver God. God's like the greatest chess player, right? You think you got it, and then he's like 25 moves ahead before you even knew what was happening, right? Elijah's got questions just like we got. Elijah misses the part that God is, is working, and we need to remember that God is working. We need to remember that God's in the still, small, powerful, earth-shattering, mountain-moving, tiny voice. Tiny voice. If you go to Psalm 103, David writes this. It's not on the screen, but I wrote it down later. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Who's he talking to? I never caught it before. Who's he talking to? His soul. His self. Right? How often do you talk to yourself? In a good way. <laughs> How often do you talk to your soul in a holy way, right? Do you talk to your soul? Right? We, we look at this story right here, man, with, with this guy and Elijah and everything going on. And I can almost assure you, like, Elijah had no idea what the rain was really bringing. You could almost say it this way. Maybe this will kind of be another sermon later, right? Like, you got to learn to rejoice in your storm instead of try to outrun your storm. Because this, this, this rain is bringing something like that he didn't expect for it to bring. But Elijah just got to open his eyes and see what God's doing through the whole thing. Let's open our eyes. Pray. Father God, I pray that you do open our eyes to see you moving. And God, I pray that somebody in here, if not all of us, Lord, will have the courage to be honest with you. Sometimes audacious faith, Lord God, is just being bold enough to tell you like it is. The true feelings we have. And God, I pray if they're the wrong feelings, then Lord, you use that as a, as a smoke detector, Lord God, to, to correct us and get us right. But God, I pray for those that have the legitimate feelings of worry, doubt, despair, aloneness isolation God I pray for that still small voice that called Elijah out of the cave that it'll call us out of the cave and we'll know that you're close it will end knowing that you still got something for us to do God make known your plans let us know Lord God that while we didn't know about it you were already planning for the end while we were still at the very beginning Father God, we love you so much and thank you for your truth that's in Scripture. In your name we pray. Amen.